Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Travel Group. Southwestern Travel crafts custom, memorable travel experiences for meetings and incentive travel, leisure travel, and student group travel for clients around the world. We connect travelers to memorable destinations and life-enriching experiences through personalized counsel and management of all the travel details. Our team of travel advisors design itineraries and experiences to best match with you and your group's travel style and interests. Southwestern Travel goes above and beyond to elevate your corporate events and personal trips. To bring your next inspired event or leisure trip to life and receive a free destination guide, go to www.southwesterntravel.com forward slash action. On today's episode, host Dan Moore speaks with Randall Kaplan, serial entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of Sandy, a travel app focused on the promotion of beaches and beach tourism around the world, with a comprehensive database of over 50,000 beaches in every country, including over 90 different filters for amenities and attractions, the largest collection of beach photographs in the world, videos, and more. Kaplan is an active public speaker and a recipient of the Northwestern School of Law's first-ever award for Distinguished Entrepreneur. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Action Catalyst. Good to have you today. Dan, thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Our show is all about inspiration and helping to ignite people's enthusiasm for things in life, and you have lived an entire life on those notes. It's just been phenomenal learning more about you. I wonder if today we could talk a little bit maybe about your grandmother, Judy Eater the amazing things that she accomplished in her life and the scholarship you endowed, if you could share a little bit about her. Sure. She's truly an amazing woman. She's my inspiration. She's my hero. My grandmother was born way back in, I believe, 1916 in Detroit. Her father left her when she was young, and then her mother left her uh, a year after that. She was dropped off on the street corner in Detroit with $2 in her wallet and nowhere for her and her sister to go. It was a freezing cold night. They went to a Catholic shelter and she spent the entirety of her childhood moving around foster care home to foster care home. She married my grandfather when she was 16 years old. She's she's just an incredible woman. Had all A's in school, but had to drop out to make money. For her 85th birthday, I decided as a surprise for her, I was going to endow a scholarship at the University of Michigan. When I went to the University of Michigan and said I, I wanted to do this, they said that it is impossible. I asked why not. And the admissions person said because students in foster care don't self-identify, number one, and number two, they can't afford the application fee, which was $100. So I said, you'll waive the application fee and let me take care of the rest. So I went online and I saw there are two nonprofits covering foster care kids in the state of Michigan. I contacted them both. And due to privacy rules, I wasn't able to send out letters notifying each of them, but they were. And over 3,000 letters went out, and one student was qualified, and she has become a member of our family. We gave her a full ride. She promised me at the time she was living in her car that she would graduate and become a role model for similarly situated disadvantaged youth. 
especially those in foster care. She's done that. She graduated. She got a master's degree. She's a public speaker. She's a social worker. She's a homeowner, and she's a mother. And most importantly, she's a member of our family. I think that's such a great story at so many levels. It's been one of the highlights of my life, and more importantly, one of the highlights of my grandmother's life. Well, shifting gears a little bit, not only have you been what you call a serial entrepreneur, but you've also been an encourager of entrepreneurs, particularly people that are hard workers. What are some of the things that you look for in people besides just a good business idea? And how do you identify that they're really going to be a dedicated hard worker? Well, over the past 22 years since I started my venture capital firm, Jump Investors, we've had over 2,500 entrepreneurs come in and meet us, meet me, meet with our team. And I've probably looked at another 10,000 or so business plans. The most important criteria for me when we invest in a company is the founder or founders within that company. We've invested in verticals that we know nothing about, energy, nanotechnology, and for us, it's, it's all about the founders. We go through a series of questions about history, education, and really, at the end of the day, ask about things like work ethic, values, determination. We back people who have unrelenting work ethics, who work hard, and we ask them very specific questions. What's your average day? What's your typical day? Do you work weekends? If I send you a email at two in the morning, when are you going to get back to me? We just go through a series of questions like this to determine the work ethic. And then we also go through a series of questions to determine how hungry they are. And at the end of the day, I want to back entrepreneurs who have the mindset that if they're stranded on a raft in the middle of the ocean, they're going to find land one way or the other. It's like the old quote, hard work beats talent when talent won't work hard. 100%. Hard work, I believe, is the greatest determinant of our success, both in the workforce and in our personal lives as well. Well, my background is door-to-door -door sales as a college student. I'm with the same company today, so I know very much what you're talking about. I started as an entrepreneur at the University of Michigan, cold calling and sales. I took $400 of my bar mitzvah money and made 400 t-shirts, 500 t-shirts. Back in those days, you couldn't go online to get a sample. You go through the yellow pages, make a bunch of phone calls and ultimately take a risk by buying t-shirts. I made University of Michigan t-shirts, and I went door to door. I sold them on one floor. I'd get kicked out. I'd go on another floor, and I did that with all 10 dorms at Michigan. And I think the cold calling skill is one of the most important ingredients to success for anyone in the sales business. What makes you say that? Because cold calling is often demeaned and looked down upon. People say you need to do lead gen and all the rest of that which I agree is really important. But what makes you think cold calling is such an essential set of skills? I think it's really important to go and ask somebody for the order because you're not going to get the order if you don't ask. Tim Draper, I spoke at Draper University two or three years ago, and Draper University is dedicated to people who want to be entrepreneurs. And one of the, one of the lessons or one of the assignments in that class is they're going to give you a certain amount of Draper University condoms. And you have to go out on the streets of San Francisco and go sell these condoms and come back before the end of the day having them all sold. Now, that's a very awkward thing to do. It's a sensitive subject. It's very awkward for people to go do that. But imagine the fear and anxiety of when you start to go do that. As you get going and going and going, your sales skills are going to improve. And all of the students come back with the condoms sold. This summer, 
we asked all of our interns to go to the beach and ask them to do something called the Sandy Beach Challenge, which is basically going out there, asking people on the beach who really are not interested in seeing somebody they don't know and asking them to do a dance. And we wanted to use these dances in social media funny viral videos. Well, in order to do that, we bought people wigs, crazy wigs like Wayne's World, and we asked them to go do that. Around half the interns said that they were going to do it. And all of those of those half interns, they were all very scared, petrified. We ran through sample runs beforehand. It was very awkward. And the sample runs made them better when they went out into the real world. And when they went out into the real world and they did it, of course, they felt very awkward. And by the end of the day, they were loving it. They were doing these crazy dances, getting these people to follow them. And we had some very fun videos. At the end of the day, the lesson there was... How much more comfortable were you at the end than the beginning of the day? And did this make you a better salesperson? As you said, one of the things that people don't want to do is their fear of failure. Well, in the sales world, if you go up to 100 people and you say, I want you to buy my product, and 99 say no, and the 100th says yes, you don't care about the 99th person before you, but you do have the positive reinforcement to go forward and get the second one, the third one, the fourth one, the fifth one the 50th, the 100th one. That is such a true point. Well, let's talk for a second, if you don't mind, about brick walls. You know, there's times, I'm sure, in your career, many times that you've been moving right along in a really good path, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, came a seemingly insurmountable obstacle. What do you think are some great strategies when somebody's just suddenly stymied by something out of their control, maybe? Yeah, I mean, one of the key ingredients to our success is the ability to overcome challenges and the obstacles we all face along the way. When I moved to Los Angeles, five and a half weeks after I moved here, I lost my job. I had $3,000 in the bank. I had $1,200 a month in rent expense. And, And when you think about it, everything I had done up until that point, I was 24 years old. I worked hard in high school, get into good college. I did well in college, get into good law school. I went to Michigan. I went to Northwestern Law School. And then I hit a a massive brick wall, but ultimately I said, I have to persevere. I have to make rent. I have to pay rent. I'm not going back to Detroit. I moved to LA and I buckled down. I called the admissions office and I called the placement office at Northwestern and I asked them for a list of every Northwestern Law alumni living in Los Angeles. And there were something like four or 500. I wrote everyone a letter all 400, all 500. And a couple of people responded, one in particular, a man named Sanders Schwartz, who was working at Columbia TriStar Pictures, took an interest in me, even though he didn't find or introduce to me a position that was suitable for me. What he did give me was encouragement and hope at an incredibly difficult time. I got a job in Orange County, 53 and a half miles away, would leave my home at 5.30 in the morning. I see Suge Knight every single morning at the bagel store at 5.30 when they opened. He was coming in for the night and I was going to work and I'd come home at midnight. And I did that for a long amount of time. But at least I was back to square one. I could pay my rent and then I could think about my future. And it's happened several times as well since then. But ultimately, you have to find a way to persevere. You can't go home. You have to keep coming at it. I read somewhere that the average person today has six interviews before they're hired. I can't tell you how many times where I'm coaching people or mentoring people, they said, oh, I had a job interview. It didn't go well. I got rejected. Well, how many people in the world got rejected, went back to the same company, did something else, and was hired? A lot, thousands, millions. So why can't that be you? Why let an obstacle 
get in your way, whether you're terminated or you don't like your job, whatever it is, set a goal for yourself, make a plan and go find out a way to do it. And unpack a little bit about what you just said, Randy. There's several things that are really impressive. First of all, I think was your commitment that you weren't going to go home. This is the battleground that you've chosen. Nobody forced you to go out there. And so you're not going to run back home again. Second, you took a breath and you did some thinking. What are the resources available? One of your resources is that you were Northwestern Law alum. You knew they had a placement office. You knew they kept up with the alumni. And then the persistence. I mean, imagine what if, if you'd written two fewer letters and one of those letters was supposed to go to Mr. Schwartz and it didn't ever get to him. You know, so the fact you did everything in your power is really encouraging. It was a lot and it was a tough time. Not only was it tough getting a job, I didn't like my job. I didn't like what I was doing. I didn't like law school. I didn't want to be a lawyer. My plan was always to go into business, but everything is a stepping stone. And I had my stairs fall out from under me and then I wanted to create a new set of stairs and I did that ultimately. I took lessons from that years later when I wanted to get out of the law. I managed to get a job practicing tax law, which I knew nothing about, but ultimately I said, I don't want to be doing this my career is not going well, and I want to do something else. So I went back to the letters again. I had an idea where I was going to write letters to 300 CEOs asking for informational meetings, not jobs. I was going to write very detailed, unique letters and ask for a meeting with them. This is somebody who was 26 years old, had had three legal jobs in a year, had a horrible start to my legal career. I'm sure I set some kind of a record for the worst start that you could have. And every single person told me, no one's going to meet with you. You're crazy. The CEO of Disney is going to meet with you. Marriott, Sony, Columbia, TriStar, all these people. People called me ridiculous, crazy. I'm sure people called my idea behind my back stupid. And at the end of the day, I believed in myself. I, my gut told me that I was doing something right. I wrote very unique letters. I had a two-bedroom apartment at the time. My second bedroom was a letter-writing factory. I made a list of 300 people I wanted to meet, tracked these on Excel. I got 80 meetings. How did I do that? I went back and I printed out every article that had ever been written about the people I wanted to meet. I printed those. I sorted through those. I highlighted those. And in my letter, I included every single job they had had in progression from start to finish. The CEO of Marriott at the time, his first job was scooping ice cream at Disneyland when he was 16 years old. That was in my letter, and I put little arcane, little-known facts that maybe one newspaper piece had that nobody else had. And all of these CEOs said, how, how did you find this information? I also had a cellophane cover, which was a quote of a that they had given to a reporter over some time. It was tabbed. It had my letter, my transcripts from Michigan Northwestern, a letter of recommendation from law school. And then there was a newspaper piece from the Michigan Daily about a television show I was involved in. And so it was a four-tab letter, spiral-bound, and had all this information. My goal was to write the single best letter they had ever received. And all 80 people, every single one of them told me they have never taken a meeting from a cold letter in their life. But I was ultimately hired as a result of the letter writing campaign to be the assistant to the chairman for a man who was then one of only two people in the world who had started two Fortune 500 companies, Eli Broad. So don't listen to other people who tell you you can't do something. You may be lonely, you may be insecure, you may fear failure, that's okay. Fear of failure is a great motivator, but ultimately you have to trust your gut tune out the noise, tune out the daughters. And if your gut tells you to do something, just go for it. 
it's just incredible that he did the homework, he did the research, he made the letters unique and different. I think you improved on your one out of a hundred cold call ratio there, Randy, with 80 interviews out of 300. That's pretty strong. I did. It took a lot of work. In the case of the CEO of Marriott, Steve Bolenbach, I, I called his office 42 times. His assistant, same time every week, his assistant's name was Ophelia Reese, and we were friends. And finally, she called me back, and I, I just made the, the phone sheet every week. And I, after the 42nd week, she called me and said, are you in your office? Mr. Bolenbach is going to call you shortly. And we had a very short call. I accomplished my goal of at least getting on the phone with him, asking for an in-person meeting, but mission accomplished, persistence pays. I love it. And it's an organized persistence too. It wasn't just bullheadedness. It was a weekly schedule, calling back, very much a routine till you made good friends with Ophelia. I not only did that with people that I had written letters to, but I also tracked on Excel all of the contacts that I had. All 300 people were on there with the date of the letter the date of every call and follow-up. There were notes in the system. It was a very early crude CRM. Uh, Salesforce hadn't even been invented yet, but even if it had, I wouldn't have had the funds to use it. But it was very organized. It was very methodical. And a lot of the coaching that I do right now is geared towards similar approach. Be organized, be thoughtful, be persistent, create goals, write them down, track them, put in certain times in your calendar every week that you're going to do certain things. I was a summer associate at the best law firm in Detroit called Honigman. And there was a partner in the firm named Dick Burstein. And he said, I spend one to two hours a day and I block it out. And I just call people. I call people I know. I ask them how they're doing. What are they working on? How can I help you with what they're doing? So he was always relevant. He was always calling people. He was calling people before he needed something from them. And he made a lot of very proactive social and professional outreach that was hugely beneficial to him. And I never forgot that. I can sure see that. Well, let's, let's shift gears in, into the present day and talk a little bit about Sandy. I was so impressed reading about that. Tell us a bit about Sandy and what drove you to get that going. Sure. I'm a beach lover. I've always been a beach lover. The beach is my happy place. And as an entrepreneur, one of the things that I believe you want to do is you want to fill a need with a need. So if you look at the beach business, the beach tourism business globally is a $5 trillion a year business. But despite its size, there's no definitive beach resource anywhere in the world. It was 2014. I was going on a trip to Greece with my then girlfriend, who's now my wife. And we were staying at a beautiful hotel looking for a black sand beach. And we went to the concierge and said, okay, can you please find this one? She took out a paper map, unfolded it, circled on the map with a Sharpie where she thought one was. So we drive out there and there's a bunch of old barn houses and there were no roads and I couldn't really see where we were going. And it looked like there was an old dirt road with weeds growing through it. I didn't want to go through. I was thinking about the movie Taken. I'm thinking no one's going to ever find our bodies if we go out here and something bad happens. We went through it, wanted to impress my girlfriend. Oh, sure, we can do this. I'm adventurous. We get there, and it took us about a half an hour to go a mile. And then, and it was a rocky road. I was worried about a flat tire. We get there. We're the only people there at this beautiful Black Sand Beach and this cliff. And I thought, geez, there's got to be a better way. So we went back, started Googling, and there were very few resources of information about beaches. They were all local, nothing definitive. Google, TripAdvisor, some of the others did have beaches. But even today, if you go on those websites, beach information is disorganized. You have to read 
all kinds of different things to find out what's there and you still can't find it. If you look for a search for a beach today, you're going to get a government tourist board website sometimes. There isn't a single government tourist board in the world who knows how many beaches they are. I've met with over 100 of them and they have very little data for their beaches. So that's not going to help you. Then you're going to get advertisements to book travel on Google, TripAdvisor, Expedia, bookings, et cetera, et cetera. And then you're going to get the articles, the top 10 beaches here, top beaches here, and you're going to have to go through them and find the data. But there's not one central, definitive, trusted, comprehensive beach resource. And that's what we have set out to create and have created. We've cataloged 94 categories of information for every beach in the world, more than 90,000 beaches in 212 countries. And our trademark is choose your beach. So people want to know regularly, Randy, what's your favorite beach? Well, my favorite beach is different than your favorite beach. One of the beautiful things about what we've done and one of the most useful functions is that we allow you to filter through the 94 categories for you to choose the best beach for you. So I have five kids and we want food, bath, and a shower. We also want our cell phone to work, uh, Wi-Fi. If I want to play volleyball, hit volleyball. If I like to surf, hit surf. And we want users to have the best beach experience and allow all of you to choose the best beach for you. I think it's fantastic. Thank you. I hope you and all of our listeners today will go check it out. It's Sandy, S-A-N-D-E-E.com. That's great. And do you take user submissions if they have a secret beach someplace? We do take user submissions and all feedback is welcome. Sounds great. Well, let me ask you one more question in terms of the personal motivations. A lot of our listeners are really in great shape in their lives. Things are going super well for them. We have some other listeners, though, that have really hit a dead end. They maybe have lost their resources. They've certainly lost their way. What would be some some words of advice you could help somebody that just doesn't know where to turn next? It's a phenomenal question, and I get asked this repeatedly. I think the first place to go for inspiration is to reach out to people you admire and you'd like to meet and you'd like to get some advice from. I know when you're depressed, sometimes it's tough to get off the couch or get up, but it's very scary to go call somebody or to send them an email. But what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is they don't answer. And it goes back to what I said before. If you ask 100 people something and the first 99 say no, are you going to care about the first 99 when the other one says yes? But you can't just go ask somebody to be a mentor. You have to go earn it. But if you're thinking about, boy, what do I do now? What's the first thing I should do? There are so many resources online and speeches that you can watch from leaders that you can go to and look for inspiration. There are podcasts you can go to. There's a lot of podcasts. There's your podcast. But there's videos of such inspirational people. That's the first place that I would go. If you don't get up off your couch or go use the phone or go make a call or go apply for a job, it's never going to happen. What's the worst possible thing that could happen? Somebody says no. What's the best possible thing that can happen? Someone says yes, and you can change your life with a simple phone call, email, meeting, or letter. Go for it and go for what you want. Well, Randy, thank you very much for being with us on The Action Catalyst. Your, your life represents more than just achievement. It represents the way forward through fulfillment, the way to give back as you've done so generously with 
all the people you've helped over time, and you're striving to continue growing and making our world better. Hats off to you. and Thank you so much. Dan, I appreciate the kind words. Thanks for having me. Congrats on all the great things you've done as well and on your very successful, awesome podcast. I love it. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.